I'm Quinn Murphy, and this is In My Chair. Brian Broom is an award-winning writer, poet, screenwriter, and Leroy Irvis Fellow, and instructor in the writing program at the University of Pittsburgh, where he earned his MFA. He's been a finalist in the Moth Storytelling Competition and won the grand prize in Carnegie Mellon University's Martin Luther King Jr. Writing Awards. His first book, Punch Me Up to the Gods, won the 2021 Kirkus Award in Nonfiction. He lives in Pittsburgh. P-M-U-T-T-G is one of my favorite books, and I highly recommend it to everyone. Brian, thank you for being in my chair. Thank you so much for having me, Quinn. It's a pleasure to be here. Do you like the P-M-U-T-T-G? I do. I haven't heard that before. I think I've, I think I've, I think I've seen it hashtag before, but I was like, what the hell does that mean? But now uh, I get it. Now I, I thought I, it. I made it up. It, it almost <laughs> reminded me of like a boy band, you know? <laughs> um, so this has been an incredible year for you. It has been quite the year. Like I, um, I didn't really expect any of this. Like I, I have to be honest, like um, I didn't even know that I was, uh, writing a book until I think we were in the middle of it. Um, it's in the middle just, of the pandemic. <laughs> in the middle of the pandemic and in the middle of the book, like, um, you know, oh. I, the, the, um, the way that I got here is sort of unconventional. So um, I didn't start out to write a book, um, but I'm so happy that I did. And I can't wait to write more. Well, well what did you start out to do? Well, this book um, started off in a rehab facility um, I had gone to a place called Greenbrier um, for my drug and alcohol addiction. Um, I was kind of uh, given an ultimatum, you know, that uh, either you go to this place or, you know, we're not going to talk to you anymore, like by my friends. So um, I went there and my plan was, you know, I'm just going to stay a couple days, you know, to just shut everybody up. Um, but you know, after I was there for a little while, I kind of recognized that, you know, maybe I needed to be there. So this book sort of started off as me just writing in rehab, um, to sort of, you know, unburden myself. I had a roommate who just snored (laughs) really loudly. So I was just up all night. From that Um, Coke addiction. (laughs) 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 Oh, I know what that's like. Um, uh, and I just was up writing and, you know, that's, I was just writing stories because that's what I used to do when I was a kid and there's not a real whole lot to do in rehab at night. So that's how it started. I so you hadn't really, written since you were a kid. I hadn't really written anything since I was a kid. You wow. know, when I was a kid, I, um, I used to write all the time. And then my, uh, my cousin told me that it was a faggy, that's his word thing to do. Uh, so I stopped and I didn't start up again until um, I went to rehab. You know, the thing that I loved about this book is, I don't know, there's something always when you're reading something that can't help but be a little narcissistic. And I connected to a lot of things. I, I don't know if it's just being gay, like anything about dealing with the bus after school or a locker room situation. I was like, oh my God, it brought me personally right back. But the other side is that a lot of it was not my experience. And I was just as interested and just as moved by the parts that, that weren't my experience. I'm not black. I didn't grow up in Ohio. I don't know what that dynamic is like. And I think that this book, because it's so specific and true to you that it actually uh, is for everyone. 
when I started writing this book, when I was sort of, um, you know, when I got to the place where I admitted to myself, okay, this is going to be a book. I remember consciously thinking, well, I'm going to write a book for other black gay men, for black gay young men, um, as sort of a cautionary tale, you know, do not be the way that I was, be different. You know, that was when, um, you know, I was writing it. I had a very specific idea as to who I thought could maybe benefit from it. Um, But in the aftermath, after the book has come out, um, and after a lot of people have read it, I um, have realized that, you know, the feelings and experiences that I had, um, you know, were not unique to me as a black gay man. I mean, the sort of overarching sentiments of the book are for everybody. I've gotten really um, nice notes um, from people from all different backgrounds who have told me, yeah, I certainly related to that. I mean, who can't relate to, you know, shame or making a fool of yourself or, you know, falling in love with the wrong person or um, feeling, um, you know, ugly or feeling low in yourself. I mean, lots of people can relate to that. So, you know, when I started off, I thought, well, I'm going to write for a specific group of people, but to my surprise, um, you know, many people have uh, have uh, related to the to the text. You have a lot of of important topics in this, from parenting and race, gender, homosexuality, socioeconomic issues. Was that just because that's who you are and that's what you know and wrote about, or did you have some kind of overlaying thought that you wanted to touch on these topics? I think that, you know, when I started writing these stories in rehab, my, I sort of wrote on a theme, like, you know, I wrote um, about why I thought I ended up in rehab. And I think the overarching reason that I ended up in rehab is, is uh, shame. You know, there were so many things that I was ashamed about. You mentioned socioeconomic issues and, you know, in this country, if you're poor, it's, it's seen as a, a, you know, a a character flaw. Um, And I was so very much ashamed of uh, having no money when, when I was young, I was very much ashamed of a lot of things. So, um, you know, I was just writing to this theme, like what, what are the things in my life that have sort of ended me up in this place where I just love to be high all the time? Um, and so I think that's kind of what the, um, you know, the narrative, you know, swirls around this idea that you are not good enough the way that you are uh, on any level, you know, whether um, you think that you're ugly or you think you're dumb or you think, I mean, the, 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 our, our culture is sort of, um, built to make you feel less than, uh, you know, at all times. Um, and that's what I was writing about. Right. Because you, not to oversimplify, but other than gender, you really had a lot um, against you from birth, right? You're black in America, you're gay in America, and you um, don't have wealth or even enough money. So right. thinking about that, it's like how... Okay, this is something that I think about. Like, you are a very intelligent, smart person. You won the spelling bee. You're obviously like a great writer. When I read Hillbilly Elegy, like DJ Vance, like had these incredible SAT scores and got into Yale and whatever. What about the people who were like, you know, myself, who might have been like um, 
special ed adjacent or the people who don't have a special talent or skill, what happens to them? I don't know. I don't know that anybody, I mean, this, this, this urge that we seem to have to compare ourselves to other people, I think is a driving force Mm. uh, in why so many people are unhappy. You know, Um, I just read something about Instagram and how, you know, um, young women are, are just feeling so horrible about themselves these days, you know, because of Instagram, but it's always been the case um, that we compare ourselves to other people. And oftentimes we feel that we come up short. And so we do all these things and then we learn how to hate ourselves um, because of it. So, you know, I don't know that I would go into it, um, you know, saying that somebody who didn't win the spelling bee is somehow deficient or um, somebody who doesn't have uh, this amount of money or these clothes or these looks or this weight or this skin tone. I mean, you know, it all feels very manufactured and very detrimental um, to just being able to live and enjoy your life, you know? So I wouldn't make those comparisons. You just sort of live your life in a way that makes you happiest. You don't have to be, you know, spelling bee guy or, you know, you don't have to be anything other than the thing that you want to be um, that makes you happy because let's face it. But even if that thing is going to lift you out of poverty. Well, I mean, poverty isn't necessarily like, you know, again, we think about it in these ways that, you know, somebody is less than or more than or, or whatever, you know, um, I just say, you know, find a level of, in life that where you're comfortable and you're happy and that you have enough for you. And that is going to be good enough. Do you think you had to go through hell to get to this place where you're saying those things to me? Well, I mean, on the spectrum of misfortune, <laughs> you know, in this world, I don't know if I would call what I had to go through hell. There, hell is different, I think, for everybody. I think I went through some hard times, you know. I think um, I went through some self-inflicted hard times. I think I've also probably, um, you know, made other people go through hard times. I have just merely had a life that every, you know, that all of us have, um, you know, where sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. But um, no, but 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 reading your story, I hear what you're saying, and 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 I think it's like a very honest place to come from. But I mean, not everybody had to go through what you had to go through. I don't think no. it is fair. I I mean, I don't, I think I would be really fucked up if I had to, to, <laughs> you know, have some of the challenges that you had in your life. Yeah. But I mean, life is not fair. Um, but I also think that it's important for people to be able to tell their story, you know, in terms of, okay, so this is what I went through. Um, and as you said, you know, as somebody who didn't go through that, you learned from, you know, my experience, that's kind of what it's about. You know, um, I have, uh, uh, friends who are women who tell me what they, uh, have to go through and have had to go through in their lives. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. I have a friend who, um, you know, she worked, um, at night or she got off work at night. And she would call me um, every night, right, right when she got off work. 
And it was just this sort of regular thing that we did. Like she would be getting off work and um, we would chit chat and then she would get in her car and we would chat for a little bit. And one day she told me, you know, the reason that I call you every night is so that I don't get attacked. If I get attacked, you know, in the parking lot, I want you on the phone um, to be able to say I got attacked or to be able to call someone or help or, 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 or get help to me. That's just something that I would never think of, you know. Um, and you're, you're also man. like, okay, so I'm, I'm completely replaceable. I'm just literally 911 on the other end. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, and that ended our friendship. But I, you know, I hope she's getting home safely at night. We would have we would have wonderful talks. I just didn't know that it served right. this other. Right. Purpose, I understand. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, everybody has their thing, and this is my thing. And um, you know, I'd like to think that I told you know, stories in such a way that it was engaging enough so that other people who maybe didn't have that experience or who did have that experience um, can identify. You can either learn something or you can see yourself in in these stories. Is it a sad book? I don't think so. Really? Uh, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, there are certainly things in that book that are unfortunate, but I some of those unfortunate things are kind of funny, you know? Um, some of those things are definitely things from my perspective that I've, I've learned from. Um, I've heard people say that, you know, um, it made me cry, but I've also heard people saying it made me laugh, you know, hysterically. Um, and I think that it is, um, you know, these things are all in the past and there are things that I learned from, um, and I'm still here. So, you know, how can it be sad? One of the things that I really got out of reading this book was about being a black child in adolescence and the shift to being what you called uh, black boys don't get along boyhood before being seen as fear from white people. I got the feeling that it was kind of known in your, even in your community, in your household, and that part of the parenting was to prepare you as almost in a loving way is to be out in the world and be seen as a black man in America. Yeah. I mean, I think black parenting is hard because, you know, while you want your children to grow up uh, to be open and loving, I think black parents have the extra duty to also be warning their children about what's out there. You know, um, and it's true. Black boys don't get along boyhood and black girls don't get along girlhood. Um, we are seen in this uh, society as adults far earlier on um, than our white counterparts, um, you know, and we cannot just sort of do the same things that white children do a lot of the times. So I don't think black children are afforded the luxury of, you know, the folly of youth. Um, our mistakes are seen as criminal, whereas, you know, I think it's, it's much more lenient on the end of being uh, a white child. Now, that also um, is dependent upon socioeconomic status as well. You know, poor people generally are policed. Um, black people, black poor people, I think more so, but um, it's, a, it's one of the unfortunate things about our culture. Um, so what is sacrificed when you're growing up like that? Like what, what does that do to you that might stay with you as an adult? I don't know if anything is sacrificed. I just think it's, 
um, you know, you just learn something that your counterparts don't have to learn. Um, I don't know that, uh, you know, I think you don't maybe think something's certain- lost by not being able to be a youth or have that. Um, I don't want to say innocence, it's the wrong word, but being able to express and stretch out on being uh, a child for as long as possible, you don't think there's any repercussion of that? I think that there's, a, um, you know, people who don't see you as um, youthful or be or see you as a child lose out. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to sort of gauge, like, did I lose anything having to learn early on that, you know, how this culture sees me. I don't know. I don't know. You know, because you said it's like, a, it's a loving thing that your parents do for you. Um, if they didn't do it for me, you know, I probably would be in a lot more trouble than I am um, or than I was, you know? So I don't know. I don't know if anything's lost. I, it's, it's a, I don't really have an answer for that. So you, you also used um, the storytelling through Tuan, who was, you know, was he a toddler? Yeah, he was probably yeah, toddler age. Like, yeah, I don't like, have kids, so I'm not always like knowing what the, the terminology is. I have no idea how old yeah. <laughs> children are. Like, I see them and I'm like, oh, it's a little child. Oh, it's a bigger child. I don't know, but he they're was only definitely- there to make you feel old. And you're like, <laughs> oh, you're an adult now. I thought I was still 25. Exactly. Um, he was definitely a, a toddler. Yeah. And are, is Tuan? Is Tuan a representation of you? Like, why did you choose to add him in and tell the story through him? Well, I mean, he's definitely, definitely a literary device. Um, um, I chose uh, him and as I, you know, watched him, I don't think he was necessarily a representation of me personally. I think that he sort of represented, you know, um, black boyhood um, and the sort of uh, push early on to, um, instill this idea of, you know, masculinity into, into him. So I think he was probably symbolic of, you know, uh, of black boyhood in general in America. When you're kind of told from very early on that you have to shake it off or toughen up or don't cry, um, what, what does that do to you as a, in your relationships in life? Is that something that that somehow prohibits you from experiencing the full spectrum of emotions? I think so. And I think, um, you know, it's the, it's the sort of, uh, you know, our culture's view of what masculinity is in general. You know, um, I think that men are shamed out of feeling deep, emotions out of feeling out of out of processing deeper emotions you know um i think that we are encouraged to you know pretty much only show anger <laughs> um you know and not be able to deal with some of the more hurtful things that happen in life um you know rejection for instance or uh, a low self image you know i mean i think that you know as a human being and as I say in the book, like you are entitled to feel the full spectrum of humanity. Um, but what we do, I think with our boys is, um, you, we tell them that there are so many things that they are not allowed to feel or not allowed to express. And yes, I do think it, it does stunt the growth of a human being to do that. Is it weird that I'm white and asking you all these questions about 
the black experience? It's sometimes weird, um, you know, when I'm talking to white people um, about about it because you feel slightly examined in a way sometimes. But I, you know, I try to. I mean, I'll, I mean, I also have a book, you know, so I want to talk to people about the book, you know. Um, it's not weird. I, I try to look at it as a, as a as a conversation, as um, you know, a listening and learning opportunity for both parties involved. Um, but you know, I've been on book tour for a while now. I've had some people ask me some really um, bizarre questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know that it's it's weird. It's it's just you know I think everybody should be having a conversation about these things. You know I will. You know there are some questions that. I'm just like, well, that's, you know, that's kind of a dumb question. I'm not going to answer that. Um, but for the most part, you know, I just, I enjoy having conversations with people about writing. Yeah. So you wrote in the book, I, I found like a common theme of just wanting to feel acceptance from, you know, kids, from from your boy best friend, from your father, from, you know, the white people at the school dance. What would it have meant for you to get acceptance as a kid from those people? And is that something that you still seek out? I don't, I don't so much anymore. You know, I, um, you know, I've gotten a lot of really hateful emails. You know, really? And I, oh, of course. From the book? Yeah. I think that, um, you know, oh people, there are always going to be people who are racist and homophobic and, you know, and who are very much willing to tell you. So um, I think that, you know, had that happened a long time ago, I would have been uh, crestfallen, but now I just delete them and roll my eyes, you know. Um, uh, acceptance is a big theme in the book. Like I thought that being acceptance accepted was the same as being loved. And that's just not the case, you know, I thought that being, um, you know, liked was the same as being loved. And that's not the case. What would it have meant if uh, those people had accepted me? I think I would be a completely different person. I don't know that um, I would have grown in the ways that I have or the ways that I believe that I have. Um, Do you remember? I'm so sorry. I got to, I just want to ask because I. Yeah. Do you remember wishing you could be the moment or the around the time when you wished you could be anything but what you were to feeling like I'm happy about who I am? Uh, well, I haven't quite gotten there yet. Meaning, um, but meaning, like I re- I remember writing a very dramatic, crying like journal entry my freshman year in college, being like, "I'd rather be morbidly obese than gay. If I could be anything else, this is the curse of my life." To legitimately now being like, I. I'm so happy that I am and and wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. I mean, I'm there now. I can't imagine being anybody else or, you know, um, I don't remember a moment when that became clear to me. I think it's just been gradual over time, you know, um, there. And, and also I've just learned how to not be so hard on myself, you know, just to, uh, to, uh, maybe even relish in the things about myself that are good, uh, every once in a while, uh, but does to that take- work, Brian? Or do you yeah. wake up now and you're just like, "Oh, I, I, I got that. I figured that out. I'd no longer hard on myself." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it's a thing where where I start to be hard on myself, and then I have to say, "Stop, you know, stop." 
Um, you know, one of the things I learned in recovery is to just stop and take an inventory every once in a while of what's, what you have, what, what, what there is to be grateful for. And, you know, I have a lot of things to be grateful for. I have good friends. I have, um, you know, a place to live. I have food on the table. I mean, just the little things. Um, I find that when I start spinning out about how I hate my life, it's usually because I'm not even recognizing the things that I already do have. Um, or I'm comparing myself to somebody who I believe has more or better than uh-huh. I have. So, you know, when I get to that point, this I try. comparison thing is big. Yeah, it really is. You know, and when I get to that point, I try, um, you know, I don't always succeed, but I try to stop and be like, you know, Brian, what are you doing? Like, just calm down. Like you have a lot to be thankful for. You have a lot to be grateful for. You know, I'm healthy. Um, I've just learned uh, to maybe stop and appreciate the little things a bit more. Did that come from writing the book? Um, partially, it partially comes from, you know, being in rehab and going to meetings and doing, doing therapy. And, um, you know, uh, those things definitely played into, um, me feeling a little bit better about myself. I think everybody should go to therapy. I think everybody should. I went um, for like eight years. I agree. Yeah, it's a, and I'm always it's, like one, one foot on a banana peel from going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Lexapro has helped. But yeah, um, I, definitely, I still go, you know, I, I still have my anxiety issues. I still have my uh, depression issues, but um, for the most part, I'm able to get up and get moving. And that's, that's a blessing in and of itself. Yeah. I don't know why what you just said made me think of, you know, when you, when you got home from school, uh, I don't want to give the book away. I don't know if I should say that, but anyway, you, you had the bleach, you were going to take your life. Yeah. What not only the impact that that has on you personally, but you must have. See, it's hard to ask this without projecting, and I probably am. But also thinking about what that did to you, to the people around you, what your mom must have felt so scared, and 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 how do you forgive yourself for that? I just know that I was in a a pretty dark place. Um, you know, we all have things in our past that we regret. I mean, it would have. Really, it would have ruined the rest of my mother's life. So I'm glad that that didn't happen. You know, right. um, you know, I think that particularly gay people have all come to that place where um, we feel so rejected by the world and the culture. You know that um, there are thoughts of suicide. Un- unfortunately, I hope that it's getting better. You know, out there for for um, uh, young queer people. Uh, and I think it is, but, you know, I just know that at that time I was very lost and I wasn't feeling, I, I, there, there was no support, um, or I didn't think there was any support for somebody like me at that time. I now know better. And so, um, if I should ever find myself in that sort of depressed state again, I know what to do. You have the tools. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also, I think a lot, a big theme for gay people is if our generation or my generation and and older is this feeling of, of a loss of lost time that you're never going to get back. Like when I was reading your book and you were a dancer, you were a good dancer. Like if you had been allowed to pursue that, who knows, maybe you would have been a ballet dancer or an Alvin Ailey dancer, or you were a singer in church. Like you had so many talents that just were not acceptable and squashed. 
Yeah, it's really interesting because when I first went to college, when I first tried to go to college at the University of Akron, I did take a dance class. Um, I took a ballet class. Um, and I was really excited. I remember being really excited to take this class. Um, and I bought like the shoes and like, I think I bought, bought like the spandex tights things and the I dancer's went, belt. Yes. I went, I bought mm-hmm. the dancer's From belt. From Capizio. <laughs> <laughs> I may have done that too. I don't know. <laughs> may, uh, you seem to know a lot. Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, I went to the class and I looked inside and I saw, you know, the uh, people in the class, the young men and women in the class. And I just, I, for some reason I turned around and left. Um, Like, I think I heard, you know, like all the voices in my head at once of like how this wasn't anything for uh, a black man to be doing. Um, And I turned around and I left that class and I didn't go back. And I very much regret that because, you know, who knows what could have happened. Um, But, you know, it's, uh, you know, you can't live in regret either, you know. Um, I Do you, you feel know, like you're making up for lost time? Um, in a lot of ways, I do, you know, uh, because right now I'm, I'm 51 years old. I feel like a lot of my time was wasted just being drunk and high all the time, you know. Um, if I could have those years back, that would be great. But unfortunately, time doesn't work that way. Um, and we we get on with the best that we can. You know, so um, I have my writing and I have, um, you know, other things that I'm doing. And those are the things that make me happy now. If I tried to put on a dance belt now, it would be unfortunate. Well, I think you should. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I wanted to dance and I danced in like, um, like really little, you know, I would do like talent show dances to like my prerogative and um, nice around the way girl. And that was like, until I realized like you can't do that anymore. Right. And then it all went into the closet. Right. And then, and my junior year of high school, I finally got up enough courage to do dance because PE is like terrifying and I wanted to. And it was the highlight of my high school experience was taking dance with one other boy named Beethoven and me and all wow. girls. Yeah. And it was, it was incredible. And I, I, it, it stayed with me to this day. I'm still friends with people from dance productions at Skyline High School. Nice. Um, yeah. But I, I remember that feeling of just terror when putting on like a dance belt and do and performing for like 2,500 kids in the auditorium in flesh toned, like tights, you know, that sounds amazing. I mean, it was, but also <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm doing it anyway. Um, so when you was writing this book cathartic for you, like, what was it like when you wrote a chapter about, oh my God, I mean, literally any of them, what was that like? Well, I mean, I think for me, um, I I think that I'm writing most effectively when I am actually feeling the thing that I was feeling at that time. Like if I'm writing about the past and I'm writing about myself, like if I was, you know, sad um, I tried to make myself feel sad. Um, if I was embarrassed, you know, I try to get to that point of embarrassment again. So it was cathartic. It was, um, you know, there's a lot of things in the book that I, that I initially didn't want in there that I thought, okay, that's too much. But then I just let it, I just let it ride. And, um, you know, it hasn't been as, um, uh, devastating as I thought it was going to be. It right. is were, you, were you afraid about um, hurting people or, 
you know, family members or people you knew by put, by exposing or telling your truth in the, in the book? Yeah, I was, um, you know, I've been very fortunate that, um, um, well, I can't say nobody is upset, but most of the people, um, in the book, uh, are fine with, um, being in the book, the way that they're portrayed. Like my mother was, you know, of course I was worried about what she was going to think. Um, but I mean, everybody wants their mom to listen to them being high on cocaine, walking through a bathhouse. Exactly. Exactly. I think right? she probably, I think she probably skipped that part. Um, Some things are but, just universally gay, straight, white, black. Like you did, you know what I mean? It's there and you can talk about it, but maybe not with your grandparents maybe, reading yeah, it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, you know, my mother was, was, uh, has been fine with it and we've had um, some good talks, um, you know, after after the book came out and after she read it, um, my family in general is good with it. Um, uh, the, but you know, those are the people that I was most worried about. Anybody yeah, I else? Know about like as a reader, your um, you, you touch about your mom, and you also have a brother and sister. What was it like for them to hear your voice about kind of your shared experience? For them, you know, um, we haven't talked that extensively about it. Um, I know that I have talked with my brother about it and he's been, uh, he's been great. <clears throat> We've actually gotten to know each other a little bit better since the book came out. I think, um, my sister is thrilled for me. I mean, she's, uh, she's just a really great person and, uh, has always been a cheerleader of mine. Um, regardless, I mean, she's one of the first people I came out to. So, um, her reaction has been about what I expected. My mother, um, you know, uh, we still have some ways, we have still have a ways to go. She doesn't understand everything, but, uh, she is happy for me and proud of me. And, you know, that's really kind of what you want from your mom. What do you think if your dad were here, what, what do you think he would have thought of all of this? You know, I thought about that. I have no idea. Absolutely no idea. And, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, I think maybe we would have to have a long talk. That's all I can say. Mm -hmm. Do you find that you bring um, everything that you've gone through and certain like idiosyncrasies and patterns that you've been handed down into your relationships? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I haven't been in a relationship for a very long time. You mean like intimate, like like romantic you know, relationships. That's what or? I was thinking, but it probably applies to everything. If I, you know, um, feel it back, but yeah, that's what I was kind of thinking is you, you kind of your roadmap, your blueprint is given to you at a very young age. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I've not had, um, a relationship as I say in a long time and I'm not really looking for one. I used to look for them all the time. It was, it was, um, it was paramount in my head to have, you know, a boyfriend. I wanted one so bad. And when I, when I didn't have one, I would go looking for, you know, when I would lose one, I would go looking for another one. I think that um, probably is telling, but right now in my life, you know, I'm very happy um, being alone. Um, well, you know, that means you're going to find someone <laughs> whenever <laughs> you a- have that energy out in the world. It's like, Oh, you know, <laughs> that's what everybody says. Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've not been a good, uh, partner 
for anybody that I've been involved with. And I really? think that, that is, yeah, I think that's because, you know, of addiction. Um, I think that's because of low self image. I think that's because of a lot of things, you know, luckily, um, you know, I'm still friends with, um, people that I've been in relationships with and we make much better friends. And particularly now that I'm, I'm sober, um, and I can reflect on my past behavior and, uh, and recognize what I did wrong and apologize for that. Um, you know, my goal also in writing this book was to try to be a better person, you know, because I wasn't for a very long time. Okay. I wanted to ask you about speaking of relationships. It's so cringy because when you were met the French guy, he objectified you. He wanted you to be his fantasy of what, you know, a black man would be for him. And your basketball moment, I had, I was also, I mean, it sounds like I had a really sad childhood. I was the only boy in PE in like the seventh grade who couldn't get 13 baskets in like five minutes Mm. and everyone watching. And then the girls who were doing the tally lied for me and then they got caught cheating. So it was anyway, I was watching that when you were playing basketball with him, like, Oh my God, this is like, so like, I know that, that feeling, but do you have a problem being objectified by, by people sexually? Um, <laughs> I would love to be objectified by someone sexually. <laughs> Please objectify me, make well, me your fantasy. But you know, <laughs> objectification, uh, not all objectification is created equal. You know, um, you know, I think part of sexuality, there's a bit of objectification there, you know, like you are, um, enamored of someone's body, you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly people, you know, people, you want to be seen as attractive, you know, obviously, um, objectification to the, uh, degree in terms of like, I talked to, um, um, I was speaking with, uh, uh, a friend of mine who is Asian who read the book and he told me a story of how he um, accepted a, a date from a, a white guy to, to come over to his house and have dinner. Um, and he went over to the house and this white guy in his house had all this like Japanese art uh. and all, you know, like all this, like his whole decor was, was, you know, quote unquote Asian. Um, and that gave him pause you know that kind of thing is worrisome you know because, because somebody is then because somebody is then imprinting this idea of what you are onto you um much as the guy in the in the book did you know that's a different kind of objectification that's a because uh, it's a, a fantasy and it's not reality like porn is objectification well this is sort of like we're getting into like fetishiza- fetishization you know right nobody wants that um, Are you sure? Um, you know, unless you <laughs> unless you're being paid for it, you know. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like some people, but maybe it's not based on race, and that's where it, it feels different. But right. I feel like I think, some people would like to be someone's fetish, you know. Right. But, but it it doesn't have that extra um, layer of not being white in America, probably. Right. Because I mean, I think the person who fetishizes your race isn't into you at all. They had, they, they could care nothing about you as a person, um, you know, and 
you know, maybe that's your thing like sexually, but, and then, and, you know, there are people who get paid very well, um, to do that kind of thing for people. Um, you know, maybe go to them, uh, if that's, if you have like a, you know, some sort of like racial thing, but, you know, objectification, uh, you know, I get, again, is, you know, it's part of being attracted to people, you know, but if it overtakes the reason why you're attracted to someone, then I think that, you know, and for me, for me, I would not want that, um, in my life. Well, it's kind of selfish. It could be because it's all about the, the person, the other person, right? Like you it were saying, to and less to do with who you are. Right. It seems right. to be the case. You know, um, my Asian friend. Uh, I, that sounds so stupid to say, my Asian friend, but the friend who told me about this experience, you know, said to me, you know, I couldn't get out of there, you know, fast enough because, um, you know, he had been there before, and it's a, it's a really a no win situation for the person being fetishized. I wanted to talk to you about the boy girl shirt. <laughs> it's so cute that you thought it could almost pass. It was a girl's shirt in the in the at the store and you wanted your mom to buy it for you and you were like, "Yeah, it's 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 it's, almost, it's on the spectrum. It could almost be a boy's shirt." Mhm. Um you know, when we were growing up, everything was under this one umbrella of gay. If you were non-binary, if you were queer if you it was just all known as gay and now there's this kind of gray scale of identity that's out mm-hmm. there like you know there's a gray scale of sexuality there's pronouns um what what do you make of all of that i think it's great i mean i am learning myself you know as you say when I was young, it was just gay and straight and then bi came along and that was it. You were one of those three things. Um, and it was, you know, him or her, you know, depending upon maybe how you looked. But, we, you know, as gay people, we've always kind of played with pronouns a little bit. Um, what I find is that my students, um, you know, I was uh, teaching freshmen earlier this year, uh, first year students. And, um, they taught me a lot about, you know, the, this, you know, I learned more from them than, um, you know, I, I have in my entire life about the, the gradations of, of, you know, gender and how gender is a construct and sexuality can be fluid. I mean, um, and, uh, I say more power to them. I think that the, uh, and more power to us in general. I think that when we were, when we were young, I remember, um, you know, people saying that gay was just a phase. I remember people right. believing that it's just a phase you're going through, or it's because you have, you know, a domineering mother and a, you know, a submissive father or just all kinds of, or like, no father or yeah, exactly. Like all kinds of like weird, you know, diagnoses of, of what was wrong with us. And if we would just do this or that, we would be okay again. I think the same thing is going on now. You know, there are people who don't understand it, who think that there are, you know, it's a phase or it's, you know, because of some, uh, you know, psychological condition that they've come up with. I think that, you know, older gay people, you know, we def- we need to we need to t- take a step back and realize that, you know, maybe we didn't do all the work, you know, that there was to be done uh, when we were marching in, in 19, you know, 92 or whenever. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still learning, 
Um, and I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to learn. I've had to take a step back because some of it I have, I'm still holding on to my, you know, 1990s youth gay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny to, to talk about people in a certain way or to have those kind of archetypes and stereotypes and then having to realize that, you know, I'm outdated. I'm like, oh, even like uh, heterosexual teenagers are breaking, like you said, we'll, or my nephews will talk about something in a way where I'm like, they don't have the hangups that we do. Yeah, yeah, and I hope really? it continues. I hope it continues in that way. I hope fewer and fewer people are hung up, you know. Um, and you know, I uh, again, you know, I have a friend whose daughter um, uh, has has taught me a lot about, um, you know, the way that they are now thinking about the way that younger people are now thinking about gender and um, and sexuality and and all these things, and you know. And you have to kind of fight the uh, the urge to be resistant to it, I think, um, because it's not what you were raised with. I mean, um, well, do you ever wish that you were born today so that your life you wouldn't have had so many years of um, repression and rejection? That's a hard thing to gauge, you know, because then I wouldn't be me, and you know, I kind of like being me right now. Um, I think in general. Um, I would like to be over wishing that I was anybody else, you know, uh, born at a different time or born in a different place or born under different circumstances. I think that those days, I would like those days to be over for me. And, you know, cause I am who I am. And like you said, I, I, I wouldn't do it over at this point, you know, um, because I wouldn't have the life that I have now, mostly because of my friends, you know, um, I like the people who are around me now. I don't know. Yeah. Wow. I wish I, I wish I could hold that around with me as, you know, I, I, in, it's part of my brain. I know that to be true. Yeah. But through my life, like living in the moment, I'm competitive. I, you know, look at myself in the mirror and wish I could change things. I oh, I still do that. More money, more thing, more, you know, it's not a place that I live in all a lot, but I, yeah. you know, it's a place I would like to be. I watch myself, you know, getting older. I think that's, that's always a shock, you know, when you look in the mirror and you're like, how did this old man get in there? Um, those things, of course, are always, those are constant struggles. But as well, far as my the need to feel sexy, because you want to attract a mate. Uh, I just kind of want to not look like, you know, really bad. <laughs> I just... I just kind of like, you know, you know, as far as comparisons go, I am guilty of comparing my or comparing my current body to my former body, my current face to my former face, you know. Um I don't know that I necessarily want to uh attract a mate. I just want to look good enough so that I uh, am I feel good, you know. I know that sounds cliché. I know it sounds not believable, but I think that's kind of where I am. I don't need anybody to be drooling over me anymore. This reminds me of a quote in the book that stuck with me. And you said you were in Pittsburgh referring to a local gay bar that you had frequented um, a lot. And you said, I spent too much time at a place that no longer exists for something that I still haven't found. Was that a bigger metaphor than just the, the bar in, in Pittsburgh? Um, 
Probably. <laughs> um, you know, when I used to go to that bar, um, I was looking for what we just were talking about, you know, somebody to just be so into me. Um, I was looking for this acceptance that was really, you know, all about healing me when that, when that, when that acceptance, that kind of acceptance doesn't have the power to do that, you know? So I was pretty, um, uh, neurotic about it. Like I was, I would go to that bar all the time and it was never enough. I was almost as addicted to the bar as I was to, you know, uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, and when I say, did you meet people that you would date from the bar? Um, hmm, did I ever? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, but not for any length of time, really. I mean, um, I would, yeah, I would definitely meet with somebody and like we would pal around for a few days, a few weeks and call it dating. Um, but you know, it still feels, you know, and I was desperate, you know, I was, I was desperate for somebody to quote unquote, love me. Um, and I did not find it in those places. Um, I have found it subsequently, but not in the form of, you know, romantic love. I have found it in the form of, you know, friendships and getting re, um, acquainted with my family. And maybe that's why now I'm not, you know, gagging for, um, a boyfriend because I do feel somewhat fulfilled in terms of my personal relationships. You're in a relationship with yourself. Oh God, that sounds so like self-helpy. <laughs> it sounds so, it sounds so goop. So Gwyneth Paltrow goop. Right. Well, the people who say that they're actually not, they're still going to that <laughs> bar every night looking for love. It's just on grinder. <laughs> you know, I know that I, so I've been, you know, I'll say research but stalking you because, you know, I knew they had this interview coming up. So I watched your Instagram live the other day and I've read some of the articles and you're funny. Am you I? Yeah. You have a sense of humor, let's say, or whatever. <laughs> Is there, what sides of you are not represented in the book? Um, if any, do you feel like? I feel like, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty silly, you know, um, you know, whereas I think the book is funny um, in a lot of places, like I, I'm fairly silly. And that's, you know, something that, that, um, you know, comes out with my friends, you know, they know exactly how to tease me and I know exactly how to tease them. Um, I, uh, what else? Like, I'm not, um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's the silliness, you know, sometimes I, I try to put that in my writing, but I don't know that it always comes through, but you know, I'm, I'm kind of goofy. Yeah, no, it's there. It's just not the, the dominant, uh, trait I would say in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of it is so, um, for me was so heart heartbreaking. You think? Oh, I think the project girl and broke my yeah. heart thinking yeah. about that. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, burning down your house. I mean, just think that that was so sad, and then nobody talked about it. Or right, I think that um, oh my I don't God, know. Be getting picked up from the school dance yeah. by your mom. It's 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 all stuff that makes you. And it's not that every. I think it's heartbreaking because I am projecting because it. 
while the the circumstances are different, we've all had those moments where you just feel humiliated and or you know defeated. Yeah, and it brings that up for the reader. Yeah, I mean, um, I can see that, but well, I don't want to give away the ending, and we we shouldn't. But I think that there's, um, I think that it's not all, you know, gloomy and doomy. You know, I think that, and and it's, I, and I'm also gratified to hear that you say that it was, you know, there that you had a connection with those kinds of moments, um, because, you know, that for me is becoming more and more uh, uh, of what the book is about. You know, um, it's becoming more and more about. You know, I hope people, as I said earlier, you know, I hope people can maybe see themselves in the in the text or see somebody maybe they know in the text. And maybe that kind of recognition will spark um, a real human interaction between. Well, people. everybody knows some gay in their family, whether they're willing to admit it or not. Yeah, I, mean, I think so too. And it's were- not necessarily even gay people. I mean, I have had. Um, I was really shocked to find a lot of um, heterosexual men reaching out to me um, to tell me that they're ex- they've had similar experiences. You know, because they weren't you know, the archetypal, you know, guy, uh, or man. And, right. um, and, you know, so in that way, I hope that, uh, you know, the book touches a lot of people. I mean, I played double Dutch. Oh, so did I. Uh-huh. And I was good at turning. I didn't turn double. So I had real, like, you know, I had a real foot in the game. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. Uh, I played double Dutch. I played with girls, you know, when I was, uh, uh, a boy and everybody uh, was worried because they, you know, they were like, he plays with girls too much. But for me, the girls just had the more fun games, you know, I'm still um, more comfortable with girls than het- than heterosexual men in some way. I don't know that I'm more comfortable with any particular group now. I just know who I'm not comfortable around, but it's not a particular group, but you can kind of get the, f- well, <laughs> <laughs> there's there no are- one scarier when I was a child or now than a redneck. I don't care what you say. They're, they're really frightening. <laughs> I had a, I had a friend who uh, was uh, gay. Unfortunately he passed away. Um, but he, he was gay and he was um, a, a queen and he, def- he was also a redneck. He would also, he would define himself as a redneck um, and he was great. So, uh, you know, you can't, you can't paint everybody with one brush, you know? No. Have, um, so I but just I try, try to meet people. I try to meet people and, and meet them on their terms, you know, and, um, if I don't like what they are, the energy they're giving me, then I just back off. What's your favorite Luther Vandross song? I think it's probably a house is not a home, which is, oh. um, a really, really moving ballad. Yeah. Um, or bad boy having a party is another. Oh, one. it's so good. It's such a good track. What about uh, creep? Think, uh, yeah, you know that's a good one. Too. You know, there's really it's so there's so many to choose from. You know, um, I think if I had to choose a favorite, it, I guess, I think it would depend on what mood I'm in. You know, don't you because, think he had the best voice, the the most golden velvety oh my R&B God. voice of all time? He was um, a genius. Like he, his voice is is amazing. I even really, I even like. He's like singing background on a David Bowie song. Yes, Young Americans, and I listen to that song just so I can hear him sing uh, the background track or the background uh, part. 
Um, he was amazing. And Did they talk about that in 20 Feet from Stardom? I Did don't know. Did you ever see 20 Feet from Stardom? I saw 20 Feet from Stardom. I remember the woman who, I think Luther Vandross, she was Luther Vandross's protege. I remember her talking about him, but I don't remember him being in the film. It was a long time ago. Yeah, I've seen it. something where they had him in the studio and with David Bowie, or and then another time with Shaka Khan doing background for David Bowie, I think. Yeah, he was incredible. incredible. He was incredible. Um, moving along, you said um, this is kind of random now, but when you had that moment with speaking of rednecks with the racist heckler, and you kind of had enough, and were you know talking back, and you said, "Does running only make things worse?" Do you feel now like where you are in your life? Like, does running only make things worse? Should you stand there and just take your ass kicking if even, you know, go down swinging other than just running away? Well, you know, I'm in a real big choose your battles place in my life. You know, there are some people who unfortunately will not be convinced to not be hateful, Uh, um, no matter what you do, you know, um, and I think that you have to come to a point where you recognize that and and back away. I, I really just try to choose my battles, you know. Um, and as a writer, you know, you, you're battling all the time. There's always somebody who doesn't uh, – who isn't going to like what you have to say. Like I, I write for the Washington Post now um, and, you know, in the opinion columns. I read them. I feel like you could write the most innocuous opinion. Like I like ice cream um, and somebody will, you know, send you hate mail because you what like What about Sherbert? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you so, can even talk about frozen yogurt. So Exactly. So that's, that's where I am. It's like, you know, choose your battles. Uh, I have come to a place, I, you know, there was a time in my life when I was very angry and I wrote some very vitriolic things. Um, and was, and enjoyed fighting with people on, you know, social media, that time is gone. Uh, it, it, that's also pointless and it all, and it all, the only thing it serves is, you know, to get my blood pressure up and to make me <clears throat> feel upset for a whole day, you know? But you so, did feel, you did feel like going and, um, addressing Dave Chappelle. I did, I did address the Dave Chappelle thing. Did he ever um, get back to you? No, he, Dave Chappelle does not care what I think. Dave Chappelle is doing all right, you know. And, uh, you know, I got a lot of feedback from that. And, um, you know, but again, as I say, you can write anything, you know, like the sky is blue and somebody will uh, attack you for it. And unfortunately, that's kind of where we are discourse wise uh, in our culture with social media. Well, is so that because just, they want to be seen? And you answering them makes them feel seen. I don't answer them. Um, I don't know why people do that. Like, uh, it's really, it's really um, interesting. Like, I, um, I won the Kirkus Prize a couple weeks ago. Yes. And the local news did um, a little story on me. Uh, I wasn't involved in the story. They just used the clip from uh, the ceremony. Um, And somebody, a friend of mine, sent it to me. and in the comment section, you know, somebody wrote something nasty. Um, what just from me accepting like an award, I don't, they didn't know who I was and, you know, whatever. And then I'm pretty sure that same person did a deep dive into the internet and found my email address. 
mm. and sent me a horrible email. You know, I don't know if that person wants to be seen. Uh, I don't know what the what motivates that person. Um, I, I know that it's you know that person's probably generally not happy, um, and they want to be miserable. So what what use is it of me to you know respond to that in any way? No, it's just I don't want to go down those rabbit holes anymore of uh, fighting with people who are determined um, to dislike and disagree with you. Oh yeah, you're better than me. I I I I'd be at least even thinking in my mind for half a day what I would tell them. And, you know. <laughs> I just try to let it go. I just try to let it go. So you won the Kirkus Award in nonfiction. First of all, congratulations. It's so cool. Your first book, like, or, you know, um, what are you going to do with the $50,000? I am probably just going to buy ice cream. Um, what because kind? I like it's, uh, I'm a, I'm, I like vanilla bean. I'm a real sort of simple person. Um, I don't, uh, you know. You're not going to splurge on anything? No, no. I have student loan debt. <laughs> um <laughs> I, uh, you know, there's a few things that I want to do to just sort of, uh, you know, fix my life. I'm, you know, I, um, I'm real safety minded, I think, when it comes to those kinds of things. You know, I spent a long time, I'm not frugal, I don't think, but um, I'm cautious. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe splurging will happen later. I think I might get a massage. I think that might be the big thing I spend. Um, oh, I think you should. Why do you live in Pittsburgh? I mean, you were uh, equal distance. I looked on a map from Pittsburgh and Cleveland, which, by the way, that could be a toss-up. Why aren't you in Philadelphia or New York City? You know, uh, I'm not dissing Pittsburgh. I just am curious as like what brought you to to Pittsburgh, which I know is having like a, a hipster scene and art and all of that. I moved to Pittsburgh because um, well, when I uh, did not do well at I was very depressed and I was very scared that the people in my hometown would find out that I was gay. And Pittsburgh is the closest or not the closest, but it was a city where I knew no one. Um, and I remember, and this is why I chose it. And I'm telling you this, and I don't think I've told anybody this. Ooh, exclusive. Um, but when I was uh, in high school, I was in the marching band. Um, and one time we got to come to the big city in March, uh, our band played at a Pittsburgh Steelers game um, at what was then called Three Rivers Stadium. And I remember it was, uh, I think, my first time in like a big city. And I was so like wide eyed and like my mouth was hanging open. I thought, wow, um, this is great. I want to live in a city. And then, uh, I, you know, uh, I remember, you know, going back home and all that stuff happened and I was in a severe depression. And the first place I thought that I should go um, was Pittsburgh because I had been to Pittsburgh before uh, with the marching band. And I got here and I met a bunch of people and I made some friends and I stayed. Is it yeah. your forever home or are you going to move to New York? I have. Uh, I used to want to live in New York when I was uh, young, but I think a lot of people do. Right now I look at it and I'm like, that's just way too expensive. Um, that's true. And – you know, I don't know what the future is going to bring. Right now, I'm just in Pittsburgh and I'm writing and I don't know. Um, I don't have any plans to move. I will be moving to California next year for 
uh, a little while. Where? Uh, I will be living in the Bay Area. Where? Um, Berkeley. Oh, I'm from Oakland. Ah, there you go. Um, I'm going to be teaching. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm going to be teaching at a school um, um, in Moraga um, as a writer in residence. So that'll be a little experience outside of Pittsburgh. But um, after that, I'm coming back. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's, I think it'll be fun. A little adventure. Um, I think if it already hasn't, that your book's going to be made into a, a series. But if it is, or when it's going to be made into a series, who would you like to play you? Huh. Dave Chappelle. No. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't know. I never thought By the way, not it. a bad choice. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, Here's um, what I would say about Dave Chappelle for one second. You wrote that to him knowing that he, I, to me, that he is a, a good person. That he, If you thought he was someone who was just making jokes at the expense of others with no conscience and not a good guy, you wouldn't waste your time being like, you, you're doing this and you let the bad guys kind of joke, uh, win and be in on it with you. I think <clears> you wrote to him as somebody knowing that he is not a bad person. I don't know that anybody is like a bad person. Trump is a bad person. (laughs) Except for Donald Trump. Right. Um, I mean, there are bad people. There are some people who are, this is me. I'm like all or nothing. Yeah. There are motherfucking bad people out there. Yeah, you're right. But I, you know, I, um, I wrote that because I just wanted a different perspective, um, to be out there. And I wanted to speak, um, you know, to the people who do, do have a different perspective um, on the things that he's saying. But, you know, at this point, he said that he's willing to meet with, uh, you know, uh, transgender uh, activists and, and sit down and talk. So who knows what's going to happen? Because he's, you know? I don't, because I don't think he's a bad person. And I think that that's why it's worth having a conversation with him. He's not the person you were talking about who there's nothing you can say or do that's going to change their opinion. I hope it goes well. I hope that he does meet with them and I hope it goes well. And I hope he comes out with some new insights. I hope he comes out as trans. Um, so anyway, who, who's going to play you in the, um, in the series? Oh my God. Should I flatter myself? I don't know. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya. I love that guy. Um, I think he's so handsome. Um, yeah, that's who I would pick. Okay. I was thinking like younger Denzel Washington would be. I mean, Daniel Kaluuya looks nothing like me Uh, and you know, but he's so handsome. He's so handsome that I just, I would like him to play me. The last thing I wanted to ask you before we get into a little game is um, what's your relationship with crying now? Um, I do it probably. Well, the last time I I did it is when I, when I won the Kirkus prize, it was just a, a a big old mess. I was, Mm. uh, uh, so I was. I wasn't just crying. I was super crying. Um, my relationship to crying is people want to watch it. The moment that you won, it's pretty thrilling to yeah. see. <laughs> my relationship with it now is is you know it comes when it comes. You know, and I always feel better afterwards. Have you um, cried nearly enough? I have cried. No, I still haven't cried nearly enough. Like I think that there's probably more crying to come in in the future. Um, but there's also more laughing and more, you know, uh, more good things as well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a, an adverse relationship to crying anymore. 
you know, I don't, I don't stop myself. And I think now it just sort of comes, um, naturally, um, mm. as, cause before I think I was so sort of stifled that I couldn't even muster tears, but now I feel like, um, it just comes when it comes. That's great. Do you have time for a game? Sure. Okay. Uh, all right. Your favorite song of the year. Oh God. Do I have a song for this year that I like? Oh, I really, okay. I don't even know if it's from this year, but I really like, um, say so by Doja cat. Okay. Good one. Uh, favorite old school song or song of all time. Um, Oh, that's a big one. Um, that's a lot. Um, it depends again on my mood. If I'm in a if I'm in a melancholy mood, it's got to be um, "Song to the Siren" by This Mortal Coil. I think it is. Okay, you don't know that you're too young. No, uh, I have very very limited um, genre of music that I know. Okay, and I don't know anything else outside of it. Okay, well, This Mortal Coil has a uh, a song called "Song to the Siren." It's very um, emotional that I like. Okay, but I'm gonna look if it I'm up. happy, it's got to be. Roger Troutman and Zap, um, do what diddy. Okay, I know that. Um, there you go. Favorite diva. Oh, oh, uh, Paul Lind. I don't know who that is. Paul Lind? No. Oh, you got to Google Paul Lind. P a u l l y n d e. Paul Lind. Uh, Poland was a comedian in the 1950s and 60s. So, so, uh, flamboyant for lack of a better word. Um, Poland never said he was gay, but everybody just knew Poland was gay. He was the center square on the Hollywood squares for I a long time. I see an time. old white man when I just yeah. Googled it. Oh yeah. Poland was, uh, he was, he was something else, man. Either, Paul Lind either, is a diva? Oh yeah. Either him or little Richard. Okay. I'm expanding our definition of diva. Yeah. I'm expanding it. Um, but if you want like um, a traditional diva, um, M- Millie Jackson. Oh, okay. You know Millie Jackson? Yes, but okay. not very well. Yeah. Get into some Millie Jackson. Like she'll rock your world. Do you like Sylvester? Uh, yeah, sure. That's who not I've as been m- really into Sylvester a- lately. Yeah, Sylvester's pretty cool, but not as cool as Millie Jackson, in my in my humble opinion. Um, what's the last song you sang to yourself? Oh gosh, it's probably something that I heard, like that I was playing around the house. Um, oh, uh, it might have been "Super Bass" by Nicki Minaj. Okay, um, what's the cringiest song on your iPhone or on your mm. phone? Hmm. Um, well, I don't know if it's cringy, but, uh, you know, it's old. It was, it's probably, um, last dance by Donna summer. Oh, that's not cringy. Yeah. It's not really, I don't know if I have anything cringy. Um, I do like a bit of the carpenters every once in a while. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I can't remember that song, but da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. that song that's out of my wheel i don't know that uh, out oh. of my world okay <laughs> <laughs> my world is old school hip-hop 
Oh, okay. Like 90s and on, or 80s, 90s on, and then it stopped oh, yeah. in the 2000s. It just stopped. You know what and, I've been listening to is um, uh, Chub Rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, Treat Me Right, or Treat yeah. Me Right. Yeah, that's a good song. Love. And then it's like R&B, any R&B, it can start from, you know, the 60s till now, and right. then um, like black gospel music. And those are the three genres I know, and I don't know any other genre of music mahalia mahalia yes yeah absolutely um what is the last book you read um the last book i read is called hola papi um by john paul brammer which uh he is a, a an hispanic gay man who um has a memoir out called hola papi and i read it because he and i are going to be meeting um and being doing it in conversation um, in Florida in a couple of weeks. So I wanted to read his book and it's good. Oh, cool. Um, uh, my next one, you already answered. What are you going to splurge on with your Kirkus prize award? You're going to get a massage. Yeah, I'm going to get uh, a massage. Best place for oysters. Um, there's a place in Pittsburgh called Cobra. Okay. Um, and it is a Korean barbecue and they have amazing oysters. Yum. Um, person you were most surprised to learn had read your book my brother really yeah that's sweet and i'm still not entirely sure he's read the whole thing i think he's read parts of it but the fact that he even picked it up and held it in his hands is very surprising to me and my brother is uh oh my brother is very conservative uh um and very religious so i didn't think he would pick it up at all wow yeah um, anyone famous or who you didn't know who you learned had read your book? Um, yes. Um, why am I blanking on her name? Victoria Beckham. Oh, well, uh, that's she, major. Yeah. She, um, it was on her Instagram. Um, and I was like, wow, Victoria Beckham knows who I am. How so, did she find out about it? I wonder. No idea. No idea. I learned about it from the, it was in the New York times. Yeah. Um, I think you answered this, but who's your Hollywood crush? Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a lot of them. Lot okay. Of them. Favorite city, domestic or foreign? Oh, I really liked Paris. Mm. Very, very much. Uh, but I mean, St. Paul de Vence right. was great too. But I think um, Paris, it's so uh, electric and alive and um, – you know, uh, it was just this time of discovery for me. Destination you haven't been to and want to go? I think I'd like to go to Morocco. Um, I don't know why. I just feel like I have a friend who went there and she had a really great time. And um, So, yeah, I think I'd like to go there. Morocco is incredible. Just yeah. don't go in the summer. It's like 120 degrees. Oh, that's when I like it. Oh, I like hot I like it hot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> real hot. Uh, last question. Do you have any phobias? Uh, I have thalassophobia. What is that? And I have uh, leprophobia. I am afraid of um, – thalassophobia is uh, underwater. Uh, I'm afraid of uh, deep sea stuff. Um, and I also have submechanophobia, um, which I'm afraid of underwater objects. Um, like if a statue is underwater or a sunken ship, um, I have leprophobia, which is a fear of rabbits. Um, oh yeah, I got tons of them. We could go on all day. 
A fear of rabbits. Yeah, I'm afraid of rabbits. But how the hell would you know if an object was underwater? You're just like, as I was, you know, swimming in the ocean, I saw a, a Statue of Liberty <laughs> memorabilia. Well, the thalassophobia and the submechanophobia work hand in hand to just sort of keep me out of deep water, period. Okay. Yeah. So, like, you ever see like a uh, like a just a deep body of water like that? That it freaks me out to think about what's under there. You know, it's the opposite because I have that same thing with outer space. There you go. It's the opposite. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any problem with outer space, but underwater, it's it feels it's it's creepy. Wow, I you learn something new every day, (laughs) Brian. I just um, again, I I feel like I could talk to you forever, um, and you have such a nice voice. Thank you. um, I want to thank you for writing the book. I also feel like you have hundreds of more books in you that I, there's so many more things that I want to know about you and that I think um, that different avenues and just anything you, any story you have to tell, I'm here for it and here to read it. So. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you're right. I hope there are more books to come and I really appreciate you having me. Um, It's been fun. It really has. Um, Thank you so much. And everyone, you can get his book, you know, everywhere, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, um, I actually read the actual book and did the audio book because I wanted to hear it in your voice and both are um, equally good. So, all right. Well, make sure you get your massage and uh, let me I know will. how it is. All, all right. right. I will definitely Take care. let you know. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.